<laughs> but it was, it was cold and it was rainy. And then now the Lord reminds us that uh, he, wanted to, uh, he wanted to send a little bit more water our way and water everything, make it fresh. You know, that's what he desires to do this morning with us through by his word. Uh, he, um, he washes us with his word is what he does. There's so much work that we have before us in this chapter as we study the remainder of chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> but these are some things that are going to be tough to receive. And so I want to preface this morning's message by bringing up a couple verses that I would ask you to please place these, these, uh, these verses before you that you would consider these truths about what God desires for you and I. Two verses. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You can perhaps underline that or make a note of that, that you can come back to it. The other verse that I want to share with you to keep on the forefront of your mind is Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Keep those two verses in mind. The title of this morning's message is Speak Truth, which is basically just a, a continuation of what we covered last week, last Sunday. We're going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 3 and verse 10. Which says, and the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, and what? Shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached Good news to the people. Heavenly Father, as we study your word, I ask, Father, that you would help us to understand what we have before us. Lord, that last verse, Lord, it, it spoke of the other things that John referred to and covered, all being addressed and, and regarded as preaching the good news to all people. I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, Lord, and that you would help us, Lord, to be more Christ-like, but to know what that looks like, what that means, not as the world defines Christians, but as you define the followers of Jesus Christ, those who bring you glory, I pray, Lord, that you would refine us or perhaps sanctify us or, protect, or perhaps breaking the mold completely. 
that the Lord has placed upon us. That has actually struck us with fear in our hearts that we may perhaps not even represent you well. If we say anything contrary to what you would have us to say. Help us to be bold, Lord, and at the same time, humble. Help us to acknowledge you more than man. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth and not withhold it. When the moment is demanding that we speak the truth. It is all in preparation to walk not only upright before you, but also to prepare the hearts of others to acknowledge their need for you and salvation. And so, Father, I ask that you would bless our time together, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, give us an understanding of your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we have learned, John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was a man who was given the task of preparing all of the people to receive Jesus Christ, to see Jesus of Nazareth for who he was, the Son of God who came to die on the cross to pay for the sin of all mankind. He is prophesied of by Isaiah, and I remind you that Isaiah had prophesied this 700 years earlier. And he was spoken of in this way, prophesied of by Isaiah in this way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. We went through that last week, verses 4 through 6. But the way that John was to prepare people to receive Christ was to simply speak God's truth and admonish people to repent of their sin. You see, a person who doesn't know God's truth won't know what to repent of. Unless you make it plain, you make it clear that this is actually an affront to God and it's it's opposed to Him. It is sin. It is the very thing that has created this chasm between you and the Father. Unless they know what that is, and you define it for them according to God's word, they won't know what to repent of. Unless a person knows that they are sick, they will not go to the doctor. To put it in in plain words, in, in words that we can understand, right? Unless the person knows that he has need for a physician, he'll, he'll not go to the doctor. John began to correct the Jewish people by pointing out their false belief that they will be saved. They will go to heaven just because they're descendants of Abraham. You see, for them, they believe that just because they were descendants of Abraham, that it was impossible for them to miss salvation. And John told them, For I tell you, God is able... From these stones to raise up children for Abraham. He was, he was telling me he could do that all in his own ability, his own power, his own authority. And yet, that's not the way it works. What John told him, that is, if there is no fruit that shows, that proves their repentance, then they will experience God's judgment and go to hell. Even though, yes, they are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. James 2.26 says, For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Church, one of the things that I want to be very clear with is that just because 
there was a moment to where you felt emotionally overwhelmed and you repeated a few words. That in and of itself cannot be alone. Your assurance that you are saved. Because if after that, there is no change. There's no evidence. There's no fruit of repentance. Then what's that question? Is your, your salvation. Your eternal destination. I would much rather... I'd much rather see a, a change in the person. New desire, a new hope, a new joy. And then find out later, yeah, I, I gave my heart to the Lord. I, I surrendered my life to him. And then we could all agree. We could all come next to that brother or sister in Christ and rejoice with them. Because there is evidence of that salvation. I cannot in good conscience. And that's why it's difficult for me. Although I know that it is something to confess the Lord before everyone. But I don't know if it's always just the altar call. Just come up and just profess. Just profess. Just profess. I know there's salvation in that. And I know there's fruit there. But again, I would rather see there's no acknowledgement for a man. There's just a simple confession and a revelation of that new heart by the manner in which you conduct yourself. Because if you don't have that, again, your salvation is questioned. I don't mean to cast doubt, but I am telling you, that the Bible does speak of, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart, apart from works is dead. God says it's dead. I don't say it's dead. God says it's dead. The fruit of the spirit means that there's a, a, a fruit that is being produced in the life of the believer, the genuine believer. Listen, this message of speaking the truth by John is, is continued this morning as we continue in this chapter because it is truth that will prepare people to understand their need for Jesus and complete and absolute repentance. To know salvation, the only one who could save. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But if they reject truth, then there remains for them no other solution. And they will know no other conclusion to their lives but eternal hell. This, this is how important what John was doing was in that day as it is today, this morning. John says that every tree that therefore does not bear fruit, good fruit, if cut down, is, is cut down and thrown into the fire, according to verse 9. And also, he said in verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Hardly words that we can just kind of skim over and not acknowledge. These are serious words. These are serious consequences. We're not here to have our ears tickled with things that we want to hear, to be motivated for, to achieve whatever goals that we want to achieve in life. No, if you... You need to be willing to lay down your life for the sake of knowing eternal glory with God. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. The, 
The good news that is referred to here includes the correction of false thinking and the admonishment to repent of wicked ways leading to the understanding that the sinner is in need of a Savior, the Savior, Jesus Christ. So speak the truth to prepare people for Jesus Christ and to know salvation. Too many people within the church are afraid to say anything, are afraid to stand on the side of righteousness. Why? Because we are ashamed. We are ashamed into thinking that we're not nice, we're not kind, and and perhaps we'll offend someone and then they won't hear from us, but they're not hearing anything anyway. So what's the difference? I love the question that is we start out with. The crowds were all gathering around John. First question that was asked, what shall we do? What shall we do? Verse 10, let's read it through once again to, to 14. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Three groups asked the same question What shall we do? We're asking John what to do after he had warned them. That if they did not bear fruits in keeping with repentance, then they would be judged eternally in the fires of hell. That would be a good question for us to ask when we are told, when we are reminded, hey, listen, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell for all eternity. If we take that seriously, then the next question should be, What then shall we do? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to spend eternity in a real place of eternal suffering. And John started out with some pretty basic stuff, wouldn't you say? I mean, on the surface, you could look at these, his answer for all three groups You say, those are pretty basic, ordinary instructions on how to live their lives with integrity and decency to demonstrate genuine repentance. These are, this, this is just as he was preparing them to receive Jesus Christ. That's not even at that point knowing salvation in Christ. That's just being prepared for it. That this is all leading to an acknowledgement that they have been falling short. And guess what? After they do this, they will still acknowledge, they will still understand, perhaps with greater conviction, that they can't do this perfectly and are in need of a Savior. For all people, his answer was to be generous with the abundance that you have. The answer was, if you have some extra clothes, if you have an extra tunic, give one to the other who is in need. Do the same thing with your food. In other words, and it's not just with clothing, it's not just with food. Be generous, be hospitable, be loving, be kind toward others. Which implies that it is not natural to do that. Right? That's the, the, the whole, like, we need to get the whole picture. We need to understand this. Because there is kind of a status thing in the world to where we can show we have all of these things. And yet, if there's a brother or sister in need, well, we just withhold our hand from helping them out. He's saying, hey, listen, if you're doing that, which we're inclined to do that, please stop doing that. If you're able to bless someone else, then do that. You have an abundance, then make sure that you share with 
someone who is in need. Okay, that's for all the people, but how about for the tax collector? Because the tax collector, he came and asked, and he wanted to be baptized, and he asked, well, what shall we do? Uh, the tax color, uh, collectors were uh, the, like the scum of the earth. Apparently, they still are. <laughs> but in that day, it was a little different because can you imagine the tax collector coming to your house personally and uh, telling you, well, <clears throat> Mr. Montana, you, you have taxes that are due, and it is whatever it is. In reality, it's not that amount, it's much less. But the tax collector, you know, wants to pad his pocket and would collect more, which was normal for the day for them to do that. Dishonest would take, take advantage of people. They would overtax the people to make as much money as they could for themselves. It's for this reason that they were despised by the people, and John had an answer for them. He said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. But wait a minute, then that would deny me what I've been earning, making off the people for myself. Mm -hmm. Just collect what you're authorized to collect. All right. Doing the hard things. Integrity, honesty. Well, how about for the soldier? The soldier, he asked, or the soldiers asked, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages, which implies that they weren't content with their wages. And so therefore, they would extort money from the people. How would they do that? Well, they would falsely accuse people of crimes they didn't commit. And then threaten them with imprisonment or steep fines, unless, unless you, you can pay your fine right here with me. We can settle this account right now, right here. Extortion. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is Micah. This is the prophet Micah. This is not the New Testament. It's the Old Testament. And so we serve the same God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what he requires of us today as he required of his people in the Old Testament in all the days of mankind. You see, integrity in everyday, ordinary matters demonstrates that an individual's heart is acknowledging God and is interested in honoring him, even at the expense of self. Why? Because what we do is we dethrone ourselves, and then what we do is we actually put God in the place where he should be, on the throne. We uh, submit to him as his subjects. He is the governing authority, and we want above all else to bring him glory. For them, that meant it would cost them something. Listen, what John was speaking, in the end, speaking the truth will lead people to the realization that they are sinners in need of a Savior. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I had no integrity. I was dishonest. I was taking advantage of people. I wasn't being generous with those things that I have. I would withhold from giving to people what, what they were in need of. Speak truth. And in so doing, you will prepare people to actually be in the place of acknowledging who God is, how they have fallen short of the glory of God, and know that they're sinners in need of a Savior. But he goes on from there, because now the people have a question in regards to who John is. In verse 15, as we continue, says, As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news 
to the people. You see, at this point, everyone was expecting the Messiah. And because of John's impact with the people, they were wondering that perhaps this is the Messiah. And then they asked the question, if he was. Of course, John's answer was emphatic. It was an absolutely no. No, I, I am not the Messiah. John said that he was so low in comparison to Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, that he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, a disciple of a rabbi wasn't even, I mean, it was, that job was so low that they wouldn't do that job. That would be for the lowest of lowest servants that would perhaps come into a house and the lowest servant of that house would be the ones to untie the sandal of someone who is coming into a guest of that house. And John was saying, I am not even worthy to do that. Talk about humbling himself before God. They thought this because he had so many people coming out to hear him, to be baptized by John. And yet he wasn't puffed up. When questioned about who he was, are you the Messiah? Oh, he was quick to tell them that he was nothing, absolutely nothing. Simply the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Here to make paths straight, make a way to the Messiah. John's reverence for Christ was correct. His humility moved him to assume the right position before the Son of God. I mean, this is a man who had just called the people that were coming out to be baptized by him, preaching repentance. He called them a, a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers, rebuking their false thought of automatic salvation because they were Jewish, descendants of Abraham. This was the man who had told them they're in danger of hell if they don't repent. And at the same time, he's assuming a proper position before the Messiah. A humble posture. He was strong in his faith and yet absolutely humble before God which caused him to be fearless before people. And this leads to speaking the truth without reservation. John said very clearly that Christ's baptism is with the Holy Spirit and fire. He was just simply baptizing them in water. It was a symbolic of the washing of their sins. Oh, but there was one who was coming, the Messiah, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is promised to come with the new covenant. It is seen throughout the New Testament, and it continues even today. But John also said that the Christ will come with a winnowing fork to clear the threshing floor, his threshing floor. This, would, uh, this is a work that they were familiar with. It would separate the wheat from the chaff, they would toss it up in the air and the chaff would fly away and the wheat would fall and it would be separated. The wheat, it'll be gathered into his barn. The chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. He said, that's the one who comes after me, the one who is before me. The one who is greater and mightier than I. Not only does God's spirit convict of sin. Leading to repentance. Which leads to salvation. 
to all who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the Spirit has this beautiful work in the heart of the one who is completely surrendered to him, submitted, subjected to whatever it is that the Lord wants to do in that heart. It's purifying, sanctifying. It's the work that he does in the believer. And one day his word will be the standard by which he will separate true believers from those who are false. Separate those who surrender to Jesus as Lord and Savior from those who reject the salvation of Jesus Christ. We can hear this over and over, church, and not even be sensitive to it anymore. But this should cause us to consider ourselves. Where are we truly? What and who have we placed on the throne in our lives? John was clearly explaining to them as God's word was is doing for us today. That Christ baptizes with the Spirit who cleanses and purifies us and also separates the believers from the unbelievers. Because if you deny the conviction of the Holy Spirit who leads us in all truth, who leads us to Christ, if we deny him, then we deny salvation. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. John's message was brought forth with great conviction and emphasis as, as it was considered the preaching of God's good news. Why was it good news? It didn't feel so good, right? It's because he was simply speaking the truth. You see, truth will always give you reality to base your decisions upon with a clear understanding of the consequences of your decisions. It's not questionable. It's God's absolute truth. Anyone who says that there is no absolute truth is saying something that is absolute. At least in their own minds. They're making a statement with ignorance. There is absolute truth. This is the foundation, this is the standard upon which we need to know and understand that whatever it is that we choose, that it, it is either for or against what is reality, and truth is reality. And this is what John was doing. And this is what you and I are to do as well. Verse 19 but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Oh, John was unafraid, absolutely unafraid. This is unreserved truth. He held nothing back, was unafraid of the consequences of speaking truth, and this is what he does. This is how he speaks and to whom he spoke. Romans 12.9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The world will say, love is love. Right? I think there's shirts, there's... I mean, that's, that's all over the place. Love is love. What does that even mean? Love is love. It's, uh, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. Kind of like whatever you want it to be. Right? Because if I asked the world, if I asked 10 different people, how do you define love? You'll get 10 different answers. It's all relative to however it is that they want to define it. Love is not tolerance of evil. I read to you once again Romans 12 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Godly love abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Who determines what is evil and what is good? God does, and he spells it out for us in the Bible, his word. Our governor has billboards in other states taking God's word out of context, just like Satan. Love thy neighbor. Come to California and have your abortion. It's wicked, and if Gavin Newsom does not repent, he's going to hell. Who determines what is evil? Please, church, we need to rise up and speak the truth. We need to stand for truth and righteousness. Who is the one that determines what we will acknowledge as being good and what is evil? I just took this snapshot, this screenshot, I believe it was yesterday. It says, parents in California should seriously think about leaving now. The state is on, don't leave. We need to stay and fight, all right? <laughs> the state is on the cusp of enacting an evil piece of legislation co-authored by a childless individual who once successfully led an effort to lower criminal penalties for knowingly spreading HIV. The Washington Free Beacon reported Thursday that a newly revised bill, AB 957, advancing through the legislature would penalize parents for refusing to affirm their child's gender identity. AB 957. It'll be against the law for you not to affirm it. Washington judge orders women-only spa with compulsory nudity to accept trans women with hanging genitalia. I just, I just give you a couple headlines. I just picked a couple. It goes on and on and on. Who defines what's evil? Is our society? Absolutely not. God does. Who's our authority? Who, who, do we, who do we profess to follow? Listen, John, John spoke against Herod. Abortion is murder of the innocent for the sake of convenience. Sexual relations with another while married is not just a mistake, it's adultery. Sexual relations with anyone when not married is fornication. Sexual relations with the same sex is, is an abomination to God. This is all according to Scripture. Romans 1.32 says, Though they knew, know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. You see, John had confronted Herod regarding him taking his brother's wife to be with him. This is against the Levitical law, against the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 18, verses, uh, verse 16, and chapter 20, verse 21. This, this for, forbade that. And for this, Herod had put him in prison. We know that that eventually came to a place, led to a place to where Herodias' daughter danced before the king, pleased him so much that he said, I'll give you everything up to half the kingdom. It was a saying and she, and she asked her, her mother whispered in her ear and said, hey, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she went. And that is how John the Baptist died. It is believed that Herod put him in prison because he feared that John's influence would cause the people to revolt against Herod. He was, he was fearful of that. So he locked him up to shut him up. That's what he did. It is one thing to be confronted for participating in these sins, but how does a person, I need to ask this question, how does a person give approval to those who practice them? 
And the follow-up question to that, is it sin? Romans 1.32 says it is. To support someone who practices such things is to give your approval. Again, I remind you of what we preface this with. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God wishes that none should perish, but that all reach repentance. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What was John doing here? He was speaking the truth. Why? Because he was called on and, and ordained and anointed to, called on to speak the truth. Why? Because he was preparing the way for the Lord, to receive the Lord. If there's confusion, if there's doubt, if there's a twisting of God's word in the minds and hearts of people, then what happens is we are participating in the blockage of that person coming to the realization that they need a savior. Because they think that everything's okay. Well, my, the Christian is accepting of this. Why not just go like we're okay then? Right? Would you go to a same-sex wedding? Would you even congratulate them? Congratulations. Or would you be willing to point out that it's a sin? Just as I pointed out, fornication is sin as well. Adultery is sin. Same-sex marriage is sin. Murder, sin. Lying, sin. Affirming or facilitating the mutilation of a person's body to look like the opposite sex, a sin. We are made in God's image. Not speaking out against actual injustice. According to God's standards, not perceived injustice, a sin. To support organizations that promote anti-biblical agendas, I mean just wicked, just outright anti-biblical, anti-God agendas, means that we're funding their agendas. Church, we got to get to a place to where we're willing to stand up for righteousness, we got to leave our, our, our those, uh, those sins that we, we kind of want to, like, we overlook. Like, I, I don't want to, we'd stop living if we didn't do these things or didn't go there. I think we'll be okay. But this won't win people to Christ, you might say. Is that what John was concerned with? I give you this example. This is who we have before us. Is that what he was concerned with? You brood of vipers. <laughs> no, he, he wasn't concerned about that. What he was concerned was, was with just speaking the truth, honoring the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. That was it. Well, perhaps John should have minded his own business. And not said anything to Herod. You might say, after all, you know, aren't we to live? The Bible says, aren't we to live at peace as much as possible with, with all men? Because I've heard that used also. Yeah, as much as possible. But that doesn't mean to compromise the truth and sit idly as people go to hell all around us. That's not what that means. God never meant that to be justification for personal tolerance of evil and then to not confront it or act against it. John was not rebuked for confronting Herod. Take a note of that. Nor are we told that this was wrong on his part. When God's people speak and act with boldness against what is evil, regardless of what the world does, it is in preparation for them to receive Jesus because it is pointing out what is sin and what is the cause of them going to hell and what they need to repent of. If you don't warn, then you may be guilty of accessory before the fact. 
and perhaps even accessory after the fact. Knowingly aiding someone who has committed sin and remains unrepentant and or assisting or inciting someone to commit sin. Before John had confronted Herod though, and this was, we're told that this had happened, but this is just a little insight as to what is to come as far as John the Baptist is concerned. But before that, keep in mind that there was a great response by the people. They're all coming. They understood. Much more than I see in the world today. Because if John the Baptist was doing the very same thing today, he would probably be locked up like the guy in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you read about him. All he was doing was, was reading the word of God. That's all he was doing. Guess what happened? He was told to, to stop because he was offending them and he was saying things that they didn't want to hear. Arrested him. Took him off. Kind of reminds me of John the Baptist. There was a great response. People were actually coming to repent. He was speaking the truth. If only that would be the case today. Comes down to the individual though. You and I. And then Jesus is baptized, and we're going to conclude. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this here. Verse 21 and 22 says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from, came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. With all of these people responding to John's preaching, which included a rebuke and an admonishment to, for them to repent and be baptized, Jesus came to be baptized all at the same time. That's what happened as Jesus was coming. Not because he needed to repent, but because he was identifying with sinful man, you and I, for whom he was coming to die for. To pay for our sin, that by believing in him, his death, in his death, burial, and resurrection, his death because of their sins, because of our sins, we, they, may know forgiveness of sins and know eternal life in Christ. And while Jesus was praying, and this is emphasized in what we just read, while Jesus is praying, it says that the heavens opened up, that the Holy Spirit came down, what appeared to be in bodily form. It's described like, to be like a dove, but it was not a dove. It's described to be like a dove, and it came upon him. And then the voice of the Father came from heaven. You are my, my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Here we see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all right there. And Jesus, as we read in verse 23, began his ministry at the age of 30. With the blessing of the Father and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the genealogy of Jesus, which I will not read, but it begins with Joseph, his father, his earthly father. Which was common in that day to follow the genealogy of the father. You can follow the genealogy of the father and the mother, Mary. And you'll get right back to the very beginning. And that is with Adam. You'll also see the son of David. As well, and David himself. The reason that is that it he goes all the way back. That is the the, uh, the Luke the physician all the way back to Adam was because Jesus was sent by the Father for the whole world, not just for the Jewish people. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have. Eternal life. John was, John was indeed preparing the way of the Lord by speaking truth. I pray that you do not hinder that work by neglecting to speak the truth, to stand for the truth, live the truth. So speak the truth, no matter who opposes you or how anyone treats you or what the consequences are for you speaking truth. 
It is a, ma- a matter of honoring the one who professes to follow and love Jesus Christ. The one who saved us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you not see that God loves you? Do you not see that he has already demonstrated his love toward you? He does not wish that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. Do you see your need for a Savior? Have you repented and have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? If you have not, my friend, tomorrow is not promised to you. Sometimes we hear these things and we, and we want to wait, not really taking this seriously. I pray that today be the day of salvation for you. Today be the day that you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Do not wait for another day because it may not come. Romans 12, 9, and I leave you with this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your truth. Lord John was willing to to speak truth uh, that confronts sin. Lord, that he may prepare the hearts of his hearers to come to the realization that that they were in need of, of a Savior. And I pray, Lord, that we would do the same, that we as your people would speak truth, that people would come to the realization that they are in need of a Savior. Lord, it's the way that I came to surrender my life to you. Finally coming to the realization that I have sinned against you and remaining in my unrepented sin would mean that my destination for all eternity was held. And so I thank you, Lord, that the truth was spoken to me as I pray, Lord, was spoken this morning from this pulpit. Lord, that we are to repent and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Because the word says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Oh, Lord, let us cry out to you. We are in desperate need of a Savior. Help us to walk with you and to bring you glory, to walk in the truth and abide in the truth. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name.